Welcome to the Prince Manasseh Achu podcast. Prophet Manasseh Achu is the general overseer of the Watered Garden Church in Ghana, West Africa. Thank you for joining us for another power-packed session. Through the teaching of God's word and the ministration of the spirit, we restore God's glory in mankind. Enjoy the transformational power of God's word as you listen to today's message. you alone at God and you are holy you're in a class of your own and that's who you are Lord let all the saints rejoice in you and Lord let them enjoy the life you give them thank you in Jesus name amen today I want us to get into a very important subject um, in Christianity called sanctification sanctification now um, the word first occurs in the Bible when God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that was the day he rested from all his work so first of all the first occurrence of the word had nothing to do with sin there was no sin this was when God finishes creation and there was no sin then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it so sanctification does not begin with sin it's not something that is sinful or evil or that is sin laden that has to be sanctified though we were sanctified by the blood of Jesus when we became sinners there's that aspect of sanctification which has got to do with women being set apart from the world and from sin all right the word sanctify simply means to set apart it means to set apart for a holy use part to separate something to god to make it special and once it's devoted to God or dedicated to God or committed to God or given to God or set apart to God, it becomes holy. It could not be common anymore. So sanctification actually is opposed to commonness. Okay. And everything is common until God says something about it. Until the word of God comes to it or until the presence of God comes to it. What makes a thing uncommon or holy is the divine factor. So the distance of anything from God determines how holy it is. So it is about the proximity of the thing to God. The agents of sanctification basically has got to do with God himself, his presence, his word. And of course, by extension, the blood of Jesus. Okay. You see that Bible talk about elect according to the foreknowledge of God and by the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit set us aside. The Bible also was, was sanctified by God the Father, was sanctified by the Spirit, and was also sanctified by Jesus. We see the continual sanctifying work, which is actually a kind of separation, further separations unto God. Let me give you an example, a basic example. We were separated from the world called out of the world then some people were separated to the gospel to preach so they were set aside more 
Okay. Then out of the preachers, some were separated again unto the apostolic office. Separate me, Paul and Barnabas. So in the things of God, it looks like there are degrees of the separation. And uh, this is just to establish God's holiness. Sanctification is just the knowledge of the holiness of God or the acknowledgement of the holiness of God. All right. But I mentioned something also. I said that it is the distance. Sanctification is actually the protocols of holiness. Okay. The protocols of holiness. How does heaven look like? The tabernacle was a type of how heaven looks like in terms of the protocol. The Bible talks about the country of heaven. Heaven is just like the earth. Only that the heavenly things are purer and uh, more glorious and intense. Okay. So you have the country. In Hebrews 11, you see the country of heaven. You see the city of heaven. Then heaven also has a paradise. It's just like earth. You have the gardens, the parks, the countryside. Then you have the city. Okay. So that's how heaven is. Then you have the throne of God, which is the mount of God. And so everything flows towards or gravitates towards the throne of God. Now, as you get closer to the throne of God, where God resides, the glory intensifies. And so the protocols of holiness are intensified. Now, the earthly picture was what God asked Moses to do. In the tabernacle. He said, when you replicate this, then I will come and dwell. Do you understand? So, God said to Moses, I'll show you a pattern on the mountain. Replicate that. So, like a miniature of heaven or the miniature of the holy things in heaven. And then I will come and dwell. So, the tabernacle is a type of heaven though it's a type of the church because God dwells in the church God dwells here now God's final dwelling place is here the church so the tabernacle is a type of heaven it's a type of the church it's a type of the believer because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit but there are so many things to help us in so many ways so we can talk about the tabernacle as as in the protocols of the presence of God to help us do the right thing. Do you understand? How many of you, if they give you water in a chamber pot to drink, you'll be comfortable, even if it's brand new, nobody has ever. You see, you'll be uncomfortable, right? All right, good, 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 good. How many of you also will be very comfortable if there's a nice water closet? Yeah, brand new, brand new, brand new. You know, this is not a place for water closet, correct? It's not sinful. It is a necessary thing for every human being, but this is not his place. Do you understand? That's how spiritual things are. There are certain things that have certain places and must be at their proper place. But people just don't want to acknowledge that. They think that everything goes. No, everything can go like that. Amen. Amen. All right, so when it comes to sanctification, there's got to do with the proper placements, the protocols of the presence of God or the protocols of holiness, and everything must have its proper place. Amen. So you have certain liberties and certain authority that comes with your designation and position, and some of those places you earn them. Now, so you 
can't go about and do anything in the spirit. That's how some people do some things and get away. Another person does it and there's trouble. You hear some people say, uh, the guy went to do some deliverance and then after that, all the demons came to his house and then they, they, uh, some, of, some of the demons came out. You are casting a demon, a demon came out and entered into you and then all that. that, 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 that. You hear all kinds of things. So your level of faith determines your level of authority and the liberty you have in the spirit. Do you understand? We talk about measure of faith and we talk about grace. Now, those things are quantified or those things are measured or meted. So you increase and it determines what you can do and what you cannot do or what you should do and what you should not do. How many of you understand these things? Now, another area has got to do with the area of our conscience. Now, when God created Adam, Adam was in a state of innocence. Adam and Eve, they were in a, in a, in a state of innocence, which means there was no sin. They didn't have a conscience. God wanted man to live with him by faith, not by the knowledge of good and evil, which is conscience, conscience. That is a liberty that you enjoy like a child cannot be convicted of evil because a child actually cannot commit a crime. That's innocence. But even what we have in Christ is beyond that. God wanted his relation with Adam to be based on faith. So what I say, not what you think or what society has agreed or what people have agreed that is good or evil. So he didn't want Adam and Eve to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that will bring them into another dispensation called the dispensation of conscience. Now their conscience will have to allow them to do some things or not to allow them. Now conscience and faith are close. They are like two sides of the same coin. But they are different. Faith is moral conviction. Conscience is moral consciousness. The knowledge of good and evil. So you have this thing that tells you, mm, this sin, this is not a sin, this is good, this is not good. And it acts like, not just an empire or a referee, it acts like a policeman trying to catch you. And actually, that is what, that's what gives you liberty for your faith or that's what hijacks your faith. It's a very terrible thing. We came to live with it when... We fell through Adam. When Adam ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's when he received this thing called conscience. And the conscience has done its work so well that sometimes you can be doing a good thing, your conscience will tell you it's bad. Including making love to your own wife, you'll be feeling guilty. Yeah. But it's just a sum total of all the things you have summed up as good and bad. So the brother with a weak conscience is the brother without knowledge. You know some things and then, you know, some of us, we know too much. When you are talking about sin, 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 we're just looking at you like that. Now, there is something to do with your conscience. Bible says, let us therefore draw nigh with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our conscience sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, of course. Having our heart sprinkled from a guilty conscience, the King James says, an evil conscience, and having our body washed with pure water. Hebrews 10 from verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, uh -huh, let us draw near 
with a true heart in what? Full assurance of faith. That's what you do. Having our hearts sprinkled from guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So what you do is that you're born again. God has given you a new heart. The consciousness of sin, the guilty laden sin, guilt, has been taken away by the blood of Jesus. But now, you have to still live with conscience anyway. And your conscience will just be a sum total of all the things you have agreed that they are good or bad. So what you need to do is you need knowledge of who you are in Christ, your righteousness in Christ, and how the blood of Jesus has sanctified you perfectly. And then you have boldness. And then you can come with full assurance of faith. But you see, you can't jump the steps. You can't fake your conscience. So it is gradual. The permission your conscience will give you is dependent on the knowledge you have. Do you understand? So you stay at the level of your conscience until you have enough light, enough revelation, enough rhema to strengthen your faith. Then your conscience is of no consequence. But if you just ignore your conscience, when your conscience doesn't allow you to do something and yet you are doing it, you wound your conscience. And with time, you confuse yourself. Bible says, sanctify the Lord in your heart. The word sanctify is set apart. Set the Lord apart in your heart. Let him be single. Let him have a place of his own. Sometimes you have so many things on your mind that the Lord is also just one of them. So what you do is in your prayer time, worship time, and fasting, you sanctify them. That's why I tell you that you don't join a service. If you get into a worship in the middle of the worship, you get zero. If you join a prayer meeting, you cannot get an ultimate. You need a minimum of 10 minutes to be seated and relaxed and begin to make the Lord single in your mind to sanctify the appointment with God called prayer or worship. If you don't do that, you have made the prayer or the worship common. It's like every other thing. Now, anything that is common is common. Anything that is set apart for God is holy. And you are the one to do that. God told Moses that you didn't sanctify me in the eyes of these people. You treated me like, like everybody else. Are we here? During worship, God is single. And so the appointment for worship and prayer must be sanctified. The difference between hunger and fasting is one is sanctified. It's set apart for God. Everybody can go hungry. Now, I will tell you some more serious things. When God was coming onto Mount Sinai, he told Moses to put a belt around the mountain and nobody should come close. So Moses came to the top and then God said, go down and tell the people nobody should come close. And Moses said, we've done that. We've commanded the people. We've even set bound. He said, go down, go, go now. God didn't want casualties. 
It's not the wickedness of God. It's the intensity of the glory. If you open this, your eye, and look at the sun continue, you can bend your retina. You can, you can destroy your eye. And God is the father of the sun. According to the book of James, the father of all lights. He's talking about the luminous bodies. His glory is so much that up to now, you can't even go to heaven with this, your body. You have to take this one down and take on a heavenly suit before you go there. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's a glory in heaven. This, this thing is mortal. So the glory is so intense that people closest to the throne are people who have a certain weight. Bible says all glories are not the same. That's why you have 14 karat gold. You have what? Good. So they come in weight. If you see somebody, something lying outside there, somebody says, oh, that thing is gold. You know he's lying. Because everything is of value. It's a treasure. And where do we keep our treasures? We hide them. We keep them. Correct? So there are treasures in God. All these things you have in the natural, you have the spiritual. So if you, any, anything that is in the open there for everybody to see, it's likely it's common. But I'll tell you some more things, some more serious things. Are you aware that the omnipresence of God is common? The omnipresence of God is common. In my book I wrote, I say in a sense, common, because I was trying to respect God. Do you know what it means? God is everywhere, and it's correct. It's one of the attributes of God is everywhere. It means God is in the beer bar right now. It means where they are killing people, God is there. God is in Sheol, Hades, hell. He's in heaven. He's in the unbeliever. He's in the believer. He's everywhere. So the omnipresence of God is common. Are we here? So if somebody says, oh, me, I believe in God, you are still zero. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, God lives in me because God lives in everything. doesn't mean anything. But there are three presences of God. We, we discussed it before. We have the omnipresence of God. Then we have the abiding presence of God. And then we have the manifest presence of God. The omnipresence of God is everywhere. He's in the outer court. The abiding presence of God is in the inner court. The manifest presence is in the holies of holies. You see a cloud there. The light of the outer court is sunlight. The out of the inner court is the, the golden candlestick. The light of the holiest of all is the Shekinah. Now, we agreed that the omnipresence of God is everywhere. He's in the face of good and evil alike. He's in a believer and unbeliever alike. But you know the presence of God in a believer is different from the presence of God in an unbeliever. We call that the abiding presence. The presence of God in church is different from the presence of God in the beer bar. We call that the abiding presence. And when God is pleased, like everything is prepared the way he wants it, and God said, aha, this is it, this is, this is me, this is how I like it. He manifests himself, his person. We call that the manifest presence of God. Do you understand? Now, we are looking at the protocols of sanctification. There's something I want to share with you while I'm giving you this background. When you enter the tabernacle, the first part of the tabernacle is called the outer court. There are only two items there. The altar of sacrifice, where they sacrifice the lamb. All those things stand for Jesus and salvation. 
So you pass by the altar of sacrifice, which is brass. It's made of brass. Brass stands for judgment. And then put the lamb on it. The lamb takes away our judgment. But that is where we offer our bodies. Then the next item you see is a brazen lava. It's a bowl made of brass. Brass stands for judgment. The water there stands for washing of water by the word. These are the only two items. So when you are coming into God's presence, the first thing is to give yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar. And then you begin to wash yourself by washing of water by the word. You start to meditate before you enter into the holy place. This is what you do before worship, before prayer. My personal prayer time, I spend about one hour still just to prepare for my appointment with God. So my personal prayer time and all those people who pray with me will tell you. We start from the holiest of all. We meet God in the holiest of all. If you walk straight into prayer or straight into worship, no preparation, you will meet God in the outer court. Let me say something here. You see, the reason for the elaborate instructions in the book of Leviticus is not just because of sin, but it's also to give us the protocols of the things of the Spirit. I want to bring two things quickly and then we begin our descent to Kotoga International Airport. There's an important word when it comes to the things of the Spirit. The word is discernment. Now, the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them. Because they are spiritually descend. The word descend there is they are spiritually judged. Spiritually divided. Spiritually separated. A mental distinction of spiritual things. Spiritually interrogated. Spiritually examined. It means to pick out. To see as distinct. But it also means they are spiritually evaluated and spiritually estimated. He is saying that everything in the spirit must be discerned, divided. There's a natural division in the realm of the spirit. Everything must be separated into two. This is divine, this is demoniac. This is spirit of flesh. Everything must fall into one of these two categories. Good or bad. Good or better. Better or best. Everything must be separated into best and excellent. Excellent, more excellent. More excellent, most excellent. Every spiritual thing must be separated into these categories. Common, sacred, holy, and holy. Everything. Do you understand that? So spiritual things, every spiritual thing must be what? Descend. They must be separated. But they must also be what? They are spiritually evaluated. You must know the worth 
that will determine where you place it. So if you see that thing, you know the weather, you know where to place it. When you are charging your iPhone Pro Max or your flip phone, you don't put it on the ground, you put it on something. Because 20,000 am I here? So if you don't know the value of something, how do you put it at this right place? If you don't know the value of the appointment you have with God, when he asks you to come to American Embassy at 8 o'clock, you'll be there at 6. And then when you are going to have an appointment with God, then you run in late. And God will be there and be looking at you and be smiling. Oh, this is my boy. You'll grow, you'll grow, you'll grow. Yeah. So the value you place on it. But like I said, it is something here first. The mental distinction, discernment. He said, sanctify the Lord in your heart. Let him be singled out, distinguished. But not just that. Know his value. And every spiritual experience. There are no two prayer meetings that are the same. I'm telling you. You can ask God. It can be the same people. The same prayer topic. The same songs. No two services are the same. Every start different in glory. There's no encounter or experience that's the same. And you need to know the weight. And all scriptures are not the same. When God created the lights, he said he created some lights to be bigger than others. But every star different in glory. He said the greater light should rule the day and the lesser light should rule the night. So there are different lights. So even in scripture, you find certain things that are higher truths, bigger lights. They are not the same. What God told you the last time, the, second, the other one he told you, they sound similar. But if you listen carefully, you see there's a little difference. They are not the same. The distance between God and everything determines its level of holiness and consequently its level of sanctification. When you read about how the tribes were positioned, around the ark around the tabernacle the tribes the 12 tribes is very interesting God gave specific instruction this tribe should be here this one should be here this one should be here this one should pitch at the east this one should pitch at the north then when it comes to the tabernacle itself even the sons of Aaron it's not everybody that is supposed to do everything in the tabernacle the Merarites had their role. The sons of Levi, the Geshnites have their role. And the Kohathites have their role. For example, the Ark of Covenant itself. The other furnishings of the tabernacle, the Geshnites can handle the curtains and those things. But when it comes to the Ark of Covenant, only the Kohathites. It's not everybody who can serve in every department. It's not everybody who can serve around the most holy things no 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 people think everybody but no 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 no. i know too much you can't we all have our level of sanctifications and god has his will regarding everything you couldn't build an altar anywhere in the old testament that's equal idol worship you only build an altar where god commands and then you build an altar where God reveals himself. 
Because it's the word of God and the spirit of God that sanctifies a thing. That makes it holy. Now, the degree to which God's spirit and his word comes to a thing determining where the thing is. All the days were common. But what made the seventh day special? God spoke about it. And that one is based on his volition and his will. Sanctification is important because of the will of God. God chooses some things and says, I prefer this, I don't want this, I want this, I don't want this. There are some people you don't feel comfortable around as a believer. I can assure you that the Holy Spirit doesn't feel comfortable about the people. What you are feeling in your spirit is the Holy Spirit who is not feeling comfortable about the people. Because there are some people who have all kinds of spirits. And some are even in the occult and you may not know. So entertaining them around you, when they are having all those kind of things, the Holy Ghost will be uncomfortable. You will be feeling uneasy. But some of you, you don't have any treasure, no discernment. Everybody is everybody. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Every place is common until God speaks about it. So when God speaks about a particular place, no longer common. Time is mundane. But when God says pray from three to four, immediately three to four becomes holy. Why? Because God set it apart. Now, sometimes God may not give a specific explicit command about it, but you can sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then I also said something which I will come to because that's how I'm going to end it. How much authority and liberty you have determines what you do. Now, when Abel and um, his brother came, offered a sacrifice. It was not God who asked them to bring an offering. They did it themselves. Did God receive it? Yes. But he received one and did not receive the other. So, things we dedicate to God, God accepts it. So, you can give something to God, you can dedicate something to God, you can devote your house to God, you can do that. You can choose of your own free will. But you see, God will not accept anything that doesn't honor him. And will not accept anything that's not a free will offering. Those are the requirements. So, if you send a blind animal, a lame animal, you want to dishonor God, God won't accept it. But apart from that, anything we dedicate to God, we give to God, small or big, God takes it. Are we here? Now, we're talking about sanctification, things that are devoted to God. Do you know that in the Old Testament, somebody can devote his house to the Lord? I can read it to you. God said, if a man decides to sanctify his house unto the Lord, the priest will come and inspect the house, whether it is fit for the Lord. If it is fit, then they give it to God. But then, you can decide to sanctify your house for a particular period. It's just like the Nazarite vow. You can take a Nazarite vow for consecration for a particular period. And then come to normal life. It's just like somebody says, I'm going on a 40-day fast or a 3-month fast. It's a kind of sanctification for a period. I went on a sanctification before. And the Holy Spirit came and stood in my room. So it's a great thing you can do. What I really want to share with you is how we can sanctify things. Because you see, when we are now, we are holy. 
but we are in a world that is unclean and there are so many things that we are mixed with that either we stand apart and allow the unclean things to remain unclean or we get involved and become defiled or the third option is we sanctify those things we need to sanctify but remember before sanctification there must be a discernment a separation there are three categories of things mundane common then holy then most holy i tell people that the veil is not between common things and holy things the veil is actually between the holy things and the most holy things you know a lot of people just mix it they don't know the difference between holy things and most holy things and you see that is why a lot of people are not able to go higher in the things of the spirit because they don't know there's a difference by the way what are the most holy things everything in the holiest of all from the shekinah the glory of god to the cherub the presence of god to the blood on the altar most holy that's what sanctifies everything to the ark itself your body is the temple of the holy spirit but this is referring to the body of the lord jesus christ a new man to the manna in the ark of covenant the mercy cities of jesus christ his redemptive work to the manna there was a pot of manna in the rhema god's revealed word that he speaks by the mouth of his holy prophets then you have the rod of aaron that budded, resurrection of christ everything in there then the lord the tablets the word of god but you see to make it simple for you the top three things i, I will always say it, that's my calling as a prophet is the holy spirit he's the holiest of all the glory of god and the will of god say the will of god all right so let me just learn you can't rush god you can only flow with him amen? amen so don't push god about okay let him lead you don't force your will on god and push you know you can't push god around that's for spiritual adolescence hallelujah all right first corinthians 7 14 is beautiful you're gonna like it for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband else were your children unclean but now they are holy we say that sickness is contagious health is not contagious and it's an anomaly but it has to change Where the divine health you have, anyone who comes close to you must receive an impartation. Your faith must be contagious. Your joy must be infectious. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit is telling us something. That we can sanctify relationships people are children you are the believer 
your wife is an unbeliever. So your pikinu. Is he holy or unholy? Because your husband is unholy. And you are holy. So your child now. The product of holy mixed with unholy. The usual thing is unholy. But he said. He didn't even say that the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. He just said wife. Because in God's mind. The wife. Is a designation for believers. Marriage is a divine institution. We shouldn't let the world take it out of our hands. Marriage is honorable in all. It's already sanctified. So he didn't even have to say the believing wife. He said the wife sanctifies the husband. No, I'm just encouraging you that what you do is as your faith increases and your anointing increases, the presence of God around you increases, your sphere of influence increases, and your radius of sanctification increases, and people who are coming into your radius continually are being sanctified by the presence of God and the word of God in your life. But of course, you still have to know the difference between the things that can be sanctified and the things that cannot be sanctified. Do you understand? There are some to your level of authority and liberty you have in the spirit doesn't allow you to go beyond a certain limit, the radius of your glory. Some too is purely an issue of your conscience. Conscience is not allowing you. You know, there are some people who got born again, their conscience will not allow them to marry their old boyfriend. But not today. You are so desperate that you marry anything. Even the devil cry, you marry him. What is that? You are walking in idolatry. Marriage has become your God. Or because of money. Money has become your God. That's idol worship. In fact, some of the things are actually witchcraft. My marriage didn't work, so my daughter cannot marry. That's witchcraft. Hallelujah. First Timothy 4 5. Final scripture. Now, do you know how the altar was sanctified? It was a little bit different. Washing of water by the word, you keep speaking the word, you keep speaking the word. And you clink people's conscience. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Prayer sanctifies. The altar that was going to receive the sin offerings. That was going to receive the burnt offerings and animal sacrifices. The altar of sacrifice. They had to sanctify it with bulls for like about seven days. Because of what it's going to carry. That a certain work is purely an issue of conscience. You understand? So if that's not your area, don't do it. When you become a soldier and you start to shoot and to kill people, you come back and you go mad. You kill too many people. You go mad. If you're not called a soldier, don't go, venture into it. There are, certain, there are certain things if your conscience doesn't allow you, don't go into it. 
Find something else that you are wired for. Hmm? Anyway. So some of the things, continual prayer, continual word of God, sanctifies it. Sometimes prayer, the supply of the spirit, it will sanctify it, okay, with time, okay, the presence of God and those things, all right. Let me finish with the last one. That's the tricky one. But it's not tricky. I'm just ending where I started. Romans 14, 14. Let's read one go. I know, comma, and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that estimate anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, you need to know the context in which he was saying this. Even also, you will say that the Bible says there is no such thing as a sin. Everything goes. He was talking about how people esteem one day about the other. Some people say, Humida is Saturday. Others say, Sunday is a holy day for me. Somebody say, I don't eat this meat. Somebody say, this meat is unclean. In the Old Testament, there was an elaborate instruction regarding diet. Everything that was not to be eaten was a symbol or a type of something unclean in the Old Testament. Don't eat toys, hardness of heart. Don't eat dog, adultery. Don't eat pig, uh, uncleanness. Don't eat anything that creeps. It resembles snake too much. So those are the things. Anything that chewed the cord but divided the hoof. Are you an animal or not? Because ruminants chew the cord. They chew the cord, meditating on the word of God. They are the clean animals. And they divide the hoof. You know, some hoofs are cloven. Uh, cloven-footed. But are you a bird or you are an animal? <laughs> you know, hypocrisy. All those animals that are not supposed to be eating stood for certain things. So in the New Testament, we are free to eat anything. There's no food that is unclean. <laughs> Do you understand? So there's no food it's in itself that's unclean. And there's no day that is clean and unclean. That's what he's talking about. And when you start to walk in a certain level of a revelation and faith, you begin to appreciate how everything belongs to God and in a sense even things so called that the devil has laid claim on are, are common so the brother with the knowledge were eating food offered to idols they said that was idol that thing is just a stone they take the food and eat it but other people see that he's eating a food offered to idol and their conscience is hurt so for their sake, no, we won't do some things. That's what the Bible says. You are walking in love. I'm doing it for your sake, not because I don't have the liberty. You get into a certain level in life where you understand that everything is working for good. If we keep coming to God's presence, His presence rubs on us. Yeah. When Moses met with God for 40 days, he didn't know that his face was shining. God will rub on you. It can increase your sanctification. It can increase your level in the spirit. It can increase your authority. And it can increase your liberty. 
things that you couldn't do first, now you'll be authorized to do it. This is where I stop. Thank you so much for listening. We believe this teaching has been a blessing to you. We want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast for life-defining and changing moments with the Holy Spirit. Follow us on all social media platforms at Prophet Prince Manasseh Achu and join the Prophet Sunday services at 9 a.m. See you next week.